It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Monday, July 11th, 2022. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this is Raven News. Sitka's COVID community level is at high for the third week in a row. That's according to data published by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention on Thursday. The state updates its COVID counts weekly on Wednesdays. Then on Thursdays, the CDC issues its report, updating the community alert status for cities around the country. Sitka's case count has remained relatively steady, with 30 cases reported two weeks ago and 33 cases reported over the last week. To shift to high in mid-June would likely mean at least one person was hospitalized with the virus. KCAW has reached out to state health officials and the Southeast Alaska Regional Health Consortium, but so far has been unable to confirm how many, if any, Sitkins are currently hospitalized. According to a memo from the Alaska Department of Health, Alaska saw an 8% increase in the number of coronavirus cases last week. And while hospitalizations remain below the peak of the Omicron wave statewide, they have increased substantially throughout the state since mid-April. Nearly all of the cases in Alaska are Omicron, and in mid-June, the most recent data available, the highly contagious BA.5 variant accounted for over 41% of COVID cases in Alaska. Since the start of the pandemic, Sitka has reported 2,958 COVID cases, 29 hospitalizations, and 6 deaths. For communities in the red, the CDC recommends wearing a well-fitting mask indoors, regardless of vaccination status, and testing for COVID if you have symptoms, as well as more strenuous recommendations for those at risk of illness or who are immunocompromised. Just a week after the Qatar Kukui changed hands, Air Station Sitka has a new commanding officer. The station held a change of command ceremony Friday morning at the hangar. An audience of Coast Guard officers, community members, friends and family recognized outgoing Captain Brian McLaughlin and incoming Commander Vincent Jansen. McLaughlin has served as Air Station Sitka's commander since July of 2020. Before stepping down, he said his goodbyes in a thoughtful speech, peppered with jokes and even a couple of spelling lessons. McLaughlin will be transferring to the Coast Guard's 17th District in Juneau as the new Chief of Incident Management. Incoming Commander Jensen previously served as Operations and Executive Officer of the Coast Guard Air Station in Astoria and as a Commanding Officer in Warrenton, Oregon. It's Jensen's third assignment in District 17. Earlier in his career, he flew helicopters for the Coast Guard in San Diego and at Air Station Kodiak. A change of command ceremony marks a transfer of authority from one person to another, a long-standing tradition. Jansen assumes his role as Air Station Sitka's 24th commander. You can see photos of Friday's change of command ceremony at Air Station Sitka on our website, kcaw.org. Recent statewide polling indicates that Sarah Palin may not have as much traction as she expects in the race to fill Don Young's seat in Congress. Likewise, a decision by a top contender to leave the race could prove advantageous to Palin's Democratic challenger, Mary Paltola. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. Ivan Moore's Alaska Survey Research released the results of the poll on Thursday. Most of the 1,200 people polled did not identify with any political party, while among the rest, about twice as many people identified as Republicans as compared to Democrats. Over three-quarters of respondents were white, and just over one in ten were native. The age of respondents was fairly evenly distributed from 25 to over 65. Large majorities of respondents said they were certain to vote in the August 16th special election, 
and in the November general election. So, based on polling data, who will they vote for? Despite coming in first in the special primary, Sarah Palin was not widely supported in the poll. In fact, she showed pronounced negative favorability of almost 44 percent. That put her behind both Democrat Mary Peltola by 11 points and one point behind Republican Nick Begich III in the first round of a speculative ranked-choice ballot, which Alaskans will be using for the first time in the special election on August 16th. In a second round, with Palin eliminated, respondents gave Alaska's vacant congressional seat to Begich with 57 percent of the vote. That Peltola, a former legislator from Bethel, could shove a former governor off a ranked-choice ballot is, according to a recent commentary in the nonpartisan Alaska Beacon, a massive shift in the dynamics of both the special election and the primary election caused by the withdrawal of Al Gross, whose supporters now shift support to Peltola. Gross has said nothing about his decision to drop out of the race on June 20th other than to endorse either of the two Alaska Native women running, Peltola or Republican Tara Sweeney, who finished fifth in the special primary. After a court ruling, Sweeney won't be able to move up into the fourth-place spot on the special election ballot, but she's filed to run in the regular primary, which will be held the same day. Assuming she's one of the top four finishers moving into the general election in November, Alaska survey research shows a similar result. Voters preferring Peltola, Begich, Palin, then Sweeney in the first round. Sweeney drops off the bottom, leaving Peltola, Begich, and Palin. Palin drops off the bottom, and Begich wins the seat with 56% of the vote. Respondents were more predictable in some of the other big races in the state, They retain Lisa Murkowski as Alaska's senior U.S. senator, and Governor Mike Dunleavy wins re-election to a second term, as challengers Les Guerra and Bill Walker evenly split the opposing vote. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. You can find a link to the latest Ivan Moore Alaska survey research poll on our website, kcaw.org. A bat in Juneau tested positive for rabies. That's a first for the city, and as Claire Strempel reports for KTOO, biologists say rabies isn't the only thing that makes this bat unusual. Protocol for a suspicious bat is this. Without touching it, you put it in a box and leave it overnight. If it takes off, it's probably fine. But it was still there in the morning, which indicated to us that something was wrong with it. State wildlife biologist Roy Churchwell got a call from Animal Control on a Sunday in late June. He collected the bat, which had to be euthanized, and sent it to a state veterinarian in Fairbanks who tested it for rabies. So far, it's just an isolated case. Um, We have sent a couple other bats up that haven't tested positive from the Juneau area, so it's not something we're too worried about yet. This is only the sixth bat to test positive for rabies in Alaska over more than 45 years of testing, according to the state's Department of Fish and Game. All six of them were found in southeast Alaska, but this is the first in Juneau. Churchwell says Alaskans are unlikely to get rabies from a bat. The most likely route of exposure is if an unvaccinated pet tangles with a rabid bat and then passes it to a human. The key is to make sure that your pets are all up on their vaccinations. Besides having rabies, this particular bat was interesting to scientists because it's the first silver-haired bat biologists have caught in Juneau. 
Karen Blavis is a state wildlife biologist. This is actually only the fifth or sixth specimen of silver-haired bat that we've ever um, collected in, in Alaska, so uh, that was unusual. They're distinct from the brown-haired bats that are typical in the region because they're bigger and have rounded rather than pointy ears. They're usually recognizable by silver hair. Blavis said their numbers seem to be increasing in southeast Alaska, but they've proven so difficult to catch that biologists have resorted to tracking them acoustically. Silver-haired bats have a distinct call, but you can't hear it. So all the echolocation calls are above the range of human hearing. So we have special ultrasonic microphones that we use to kind of eavesdrop on the bats. That's the call lowered to a frequency that humans can hear. Blavis is currently working with data from a citizen science tracking project to try and determine regional bat populations. She thinks the data will show the silver bats are moving north into the Juneau area. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Claire Strumpel. Before 1951, all commercial fishermen in Bristol Bay had to fish on sailboats. Today, the entire commercial fishery is motorized. However, as KDLG's Brian Vinois reports, a few enthusiasts are bringing one historic vessel back to the bay. For more than 60 years, sailboats dominated Bristol Bay's commercial fishery and motorized vessels were illegal. Then, in 1951, the federal government finally allowed motorized fishing vessels in Bristol Bay. And I think it's literally down to like 50 or 46 boats or something like that in 1954, and then they just disappear. That was Larice Egley, the director of the Bristol Bay Historical Society Museum in Naknek. She says almost immediately, sailing was made obsolete for the fishery. By 1952, powerboats outnumbered sailboats four to one. In less than five years, every commercial vessel had a motor. This year, historians are bringing the sailing tradition back to the bay with a vessel named the Libby McNeil Libby 7-6. Tim Troll is the executive director of the Bristol Bay Heritage Land Trust and one of the sailing crew. They launched from Homer on July 5. Launched this morning at about 9. It was beautiful, nice sunny day, very calm weather. The sailboat has crossed the Cook Inlet, sailing towards Naknek. Boat is on its way. It's uh, sailing quite nicely right now. Four guys aboard, and this looks beautiful out there. Egley says the journey commemorates an iconic period in the fishery's history. Those sails sailing out on the horizon of our bay are really visual icons, and they're they're one of those grounding visual markers for both our canning industry, for the labor issues and independence of our fishermen, and also for our indigenous story and our community. Troll plans to update KDLG on their voyage over the next few weeks. In Dillingham, I'm Brian Venois. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is 